Genesis chapter 2, may we learn together, may I speak clearly, forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Lord, help us to realize uh, marriage is special. As I just heard yesterday from someone that marriage, regarding the man and the wife, for the man it is a treasure to be worked for. Eloquent way of selling yet, saying yes. We take each other for granted, especially times we husbands, we take our wives for granted when they are so helpful in so many ways. May we be the picture of you and the church. That is our goal. So Lord, help us this evening. Help me please to speak uh, what you'd have me to say. In his name I pray. Amen. Last time we talked about the first message regarding the key to a magnificent marriage. We talked about, I like this, I'm going to use this quote once again. A good marriage is one where each partner secretly suspects they got the better end of the deal. And so marriage, a uh, successful marriage requires falling in love with the same person over and over and over. The first part we talked about was the marriage was the all-encompassing commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. The Bible does not give us a leeway to have any kind of physical involvement with anybody else other than the woman or man we are married to and with them alone. It's very, very, very clear. I was reading this week that even in America, 90% of Americans and as a whole believe that adultery is wrong. 90, that's the highest percentage of any belief I've seen in a long time, 90% understand and believe that adultery is wrong. Just something you just don't do. It's just like a, we, we just don't do it. And so that's the, an all-encompassing command. It has been ignored. I, I mentioned the statistic, which is flabbergasting to me, but one million people contract an STD every day in the world. One million cases every day in the world. A million cases. 374 million per year of new STD cases we are a world that is in need of purity, a world that is needed following God's command. We are to mortify, therefore, the members, which include fornication, uncleanness, etc. We are to mortify, put to death. It should not be part of us. And that was the all-encompassing commandment. Second was the state of modern marriage. And we talked about how even our dating, I personally believe that our dating mindset in America leads to break up more often than to stay together. We're training our kids to date, 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 break up, date, and break up, date, and break up. And finally, maybe after 10 or 12, 15 people, then they find one, they stay a little bit longer, and they get married, and then something happens. They're not used to working through the problems because before if it's a problem I'll just find somebody else okay you don't like the Bengals well I'll just find somebody else and so you don't like the Browns well I'll find somebody else and they'll find somebody that likes the Steelers you're going to look long hard to find somebody that likes the Steelers around here so there we I'm just I'm not it's a serious thing you are you're going to you have to we need to train our children we wouldn't be great to have marriage counseling for the young people before they can ever get married before they can ever have someone approve of their marriage but I sad to say, with just bite and just live together. Now, I don't want to go through all that, so I'm just going to live together. And we need to change. We need to get back to God's word. Can God cause a, Can God bring a revival? Absolutely, He can revive if the people in America will return to following His directives and laws. So that was the all-encompassing commandment. And second was the state of modern marriage. And tonight, then, is God's plan for marriage. I've been using an excellent book. I rarely, re okay, well, rarely. I sometimes recommend books to you, The Secrets of a Successful Family by Adrian Rogers. If you're home, you have young children, you need to get that book and you need to read it. It's like one of the very few books I would say you need to read. I would recommend it high, even far more than the book I had up here trying to get somebody to read. Uh, that is an excellent book by Adrian, late Adrian Rogers. He was a pastor for a long time at Bellevue Baptist Church, a church that had 26,000 members. 
But he was a very humble man, eloquent, one of the great pulpiteers of my era. And so it's 10 secrets for a successful family. You probably get it on your Kindle for a little bit of nothing and buy that book for maybe 10 bucks uh, used somewhere. And so, but I have a copy and it is absolutely great book. I'm using some of his material for that. I just want to give him credit for that. Thirdly, then, is God's plan for marriage. And let's turn over now with me to Genesis chapter 2, if you would please. And we'll probably just put your parking brake or air brake there. Set your brake in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Genesis 2, 21. We'll be there in just a moment. The building block of the family is a marriage. And really, it's, it's the cement that holds things together in your country. is our homes. It's, it's marriage taken according to what God has said. We, as you well know, in our own country, we have changed the laws about what marriage, but God set and granted what marriage really is before man came along. Before government, God had a set of what a marriage is. And so you may think you, you, you can change your man-made laws, but you cannot change. God has already said what accounts and makes a marriage. It's the building block of our nations. It's this, again, the cement that keeps uh, the couple together is their differences. And that's what makes marriage beautiful. So when you see, and it, it, I know it frustrates me, it doesn't frustrate you, but when we see, we'll see a wedding planner and then they'll have two people of the same sex holding hands and want you to develop that deep love for one another. I'm thinking that's not even a marriage. Marriage is a man and a woman, a real man, a real woman married to each other. Nothing else counts. It can be a partnership and you can be a, a civil union, but you cannot be a marriage. You cannot because God has, uh, maybe no one else agrees with me, but God has set that. He has. When you go outside of marriage to explore the differences, you're, 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 you're doing, is this wrong? If we're concerned about the family, we must be concerned about marriage. I trust that you're concerned about your own family, your own homes, your own marriage, etc., Comes concerned about the marriages in America. God's word gives a plan for marriage in just these few verses in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And by the way, before I read 22, Henry Morris makes an interesting note that this was before pain. So the reason God put him to sleep was for a picture, if you would, a picture of the future death of the second Adam. Interesting, something for you to think about tonight as you go to sleep. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Marriage distilled down to four verses. It's it right here. If you want to know what marriage is to be like, it's right here for us in these verses. First of all, the three P's. First P is the priority of marriage. The priority of marriage. Someone has once quipped that Adam and Eve had the world's only perfect marriage. She couldn't talk about the man she might have married, and he couldn't complain that his mother was a better cook. And so they had only ones that have a perfect marriage. The terms leave and cleave in 22 tell us the priority of marriage. It's really, it's the highest of priorities. The highest family priority is not a child, a parent, is a man and wife, a husband and wife. That's the number one priority and it's mate to mate. The permanent union of marriage takes precedence over the temporary responsibility of raising children. That's it. Because you're going to be with your wife or husband the rest of all your lives. The children are going to rear and you're going to send them out into the world to serve him. We're preparing our children really to leave us. 
We're preparing our children, and Lord willing, they'll follow the instructions. You, We instruct them as best we can. God is our directive, and then we give us the directions, and then we send them out. They're like it says in Psalms, like arrows. We are sending our children out as arrows into a world that needs to hear about God. It's like the, the little the eagle mother, when she has the little eaglets in there, and they have gotten used to opening their mouth, and here comes the pizza, or whatever it is. Like she gives them. I'm sure she doesn't give them pizza. She might. And they, but eventually they get big enough and the nest getting crowded. So she starts taking out the sticks and, and leaving little jabs. And so they, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not quite as comfortable. And she's preparing them to do what? To leave the nest. And like, it's like I'm raising another group later on. Maybe I don't know how that she, she's thinking in her mind. But she's stirring the nest. They don't want to go. They don't want to leave. And why would they want to leave? <laughs> Have you ever thought about how, how the baby, the day they're born, had such a wonderful place in the womb? Everything provided for them. Their mother sings to them. They're always the same temperature. It's warm and cuddly. And we're just talked about it. And then all of a sudden, out they come. It's no wonder they cry when they're born. I would cry too. They had it made and here they come and they're born into this cold world on a cold slab table perhaps. I don't know. Or a very clean cold table. The eaglets have to leave. I and mean, as you well know, she puts them on her back and she drops them out. Then she swoops under them, picks them up, and takes them up, drops them again. And they, and she, until finally they go, and off they go into the wild blue yonder to live their own lives. If we overly pamper our children, I'm telling you, they're not going to be ready for the world. If she simply said, you know what, I'm going to let you sleep in here, and I'm going to let you sleep in here in the comfy of the nest, and in one day only, I'm going to pick you up and drop you over the nest, and you got to learn, you got to go on your own. And they would die the first day. So she makes them uncomfortable. We sometimes pamper our children and excuse it by saying, I just want to give my children all the things my parents never were able to give me. The question is, are you giving your children the things your parents did give you? Like Bible training, taking you to church, whoopings when you needed it. A whooping is a whipping. But it's down from a whooping. So we know what a whooping is. They're not good things. You really don't want to know what they are. Just get that out of your mind. But a whooping. Do we need, do, are we disciplining our children? Are, are we giving them what? A stable environment? Taking them to church? Telling them to read their Bible? Showing them, telling them how God supplied our needs? How we're trusting in God? And how He'll meet those needs if we, as we trust in Him? The late Adrian Rogers, who I mentioned earlier on, he said, uh, he was raised in the latter years of the Great Depression. He says, I never knew what it was to eat out. We were having trouble enough eating in. He recalls that when his dad was out of work, they would go down to the beach and catch minnows, uh, you fishermen, for the dad to fish with. And then it would build a bonfire on the beach and his mom would bring two or three cans of pork and beans and they would skin, they would clean skin. They would kill, scale the fish, whatever you did, get the fish ready, put them in the Crisco and that was their meal. Pork and beans and fish right on the beach. He said, those were the days of my best memories. Best memories. So I was thinking, what did we do? Mm. I think Chef Boyardee pizza. And my mom had these the big rectangular pans, and somehow she was able to take the that pizza dough. If you spread pizza dough, she got it over two pans. Now I do. You don't want to know this, but I do a small round pan and a bigger round pan. And it's easy to do. I, the best way to spread, I'll tell you the best way to do dough, you get your dough on there and then you get your little pan on a smooth surface and you just turn it around and you're 
and then it gets all out to the edges and then you pour your stuff on there and you turn it almost sideways and it dribbles down and just you keep turning like that and the, and the sauce goes to all that blaze of the... It's great. Keep your hands clean. I can do that again, but not in front of everybody. So if you want to hear that again... And so uh, uh, my mom could take, and we only had, now if you remember in past history, Chef Boyardee, Boyardee came with some cheese, some grated cheese. That was all the cheese we had on our pizza. We had those little round pepperonis and the grated cheese. And we loved, because I, I could, I had, we had Chef Boyardee last week, I think it was. I just love the smell of Chef Boyardee pizza. But now we put a whole package of cheese on each pizza. So we have like a big shredded cheese, a two package shredded cheese, one for each. And so we load it on there. But I remember, I remember the little corner where, where I sat on the mornings and, ate, and wait for dad to get his big pancake ready so I could have breakfast. You see what I told my wife, we have come to this idea that we can substitute ourselves with things. And so many men have said, you know what, I'm going to work two jobs. I'll never be home, but my children, man, they'll have, they'll have, they'll have Wii, they'll have, uh, they'll have all these games, they'll have Nintendo, everything out, and all these different things, and all these things to do. And, and kids don't want that. Some, they want that, but what kids generally want, especially in my era and our era, is they want their time. You cannot substitute fathers training their children and expect it to go well. Look at our country. Look at how many children grow up with not nary, not nary, not nary a father in their home. You wonder why our nation, I have no wonders at all why our nations were in the shape we're in. Fathers, you need, if you have kids still at home, you, you, it behooves you. Spend time with them. My brother just asked me this week, did, your dad, did dad ever apologize to you for never being with us or at all? My dad was a, Actually, he's a work. He's a worker. I said, I don't think so. He said, He said one day, my dad or our dad came in with tears and apologized to me for not being spending the time with us that he knew he should have. I apologize to my children. I think I have for both of them for doing the very same thing. What we not learned? Kids spell love T I M E. That's it. They want. They want. They want our time. The best memories. Uh, I, I remember playing with my, uh, my grandpa would make aggravation boards like, two, like 18 inches square. And he would drill holes in there. Aggravation that where you move around, you knock somebody out and send them back home. It's marbles. We'd use marbles. And my, my grandmother loved to play that. And so we'd play that off. I remember doing that. Not with a lot of fond memories, but I remember playing those games with her. And so there we go. Angie's grandma too, so. I have to be careful with Angie here, what I say. Because she can, she can verify it. But we played that a lot. So not, the question is not whether you are giving your children the things your parents did not give you, parents, but are you giving them the things your parents did give you? The key to a magnificent marriage is never jettison the couple, the, the mate-to-mate relationship, and let it go while you raise your kids for 20 years because 20 years later, you're going to look at each other. Who are you again? What is your name? My kids are out. So what are we supposed to do now? Do you see what, you, you Don't get it. Now, we've gotten that out of place, and pastors have gotten out of place with the ministry so many times. So... Your supreme commitment, parents, is to your spouse. Number that's priority number a priority of marriage. Number two is the permanent, the permanence of marriage. In verse twenty four, if you're still there, hanging in there with me. Uh, it says twenty four. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Leave, in the Greek language, means to leave behind. We're supposed to leave it behind. 
We're leaving our father and mother. I'm not saying you're disrespectful. I'm not saying you be ugly toward. I'm just saying those, we're leaving them as our, over us, and we're cleaving to our wife. You can live next door and do that properly, or you can live across in California and still not do it, because you're, I'm, Mom, the, Mom, you know what she did to me today? Do you know what he did, you know what he did to me, Mom? It's, we work those out between the two of you, okay? But leave and cleave. But I have to share this. My wife sent this to me. This lady was a little mean. She says, sometimes when I get mad at my husband, I like to look at him through a fork to remind myself looking through metal bars is not life for me. <laughs> the word cleave. I don't know. It's on Facebook. You can look it up for yourself. It's on Facebook somewhere. I don't know. The Hebrew term for cleave is the idea of joint. And I really, I was thinking about getting two pieces of paper and gluing them together at the beginning of the service and saying, now listen, if you have two pieces together that are glued together, you cannot separate them without a lot of tears. A lot of tears. What well, therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And I would add, especially those two who are involved in the wedding, the marriage, let not them put asunder. Marriage was designed by God to be permanent. Often, I remember when I was pastoring over in Ohio, we put to death do his part is still God's way. To death do his part is still God's way. If you show me two people who consider divorce as an option, I'll show you two young people who have a greatly increased potential for breaking up in their marriage. Well, we got some people, well, we got divorced because we had problems. Listen, every single marriage has problems. It's your commitment to working through them with God's help. That's the difference. We all have problems, but you know, I'm telling you, there's some people who have some bigger problems than you that are still together. 71 years together, I'm telling you, they had to work through some problems. 71, you can't be together, you can't be together seven days without having to work through some problems. But 71 years, I'm telling you, they had a lot of problems, but they were committed to solving them. I, I'm imagining, I don't know if they trust the Lord, are there, are there Christian folks? They, yeah. yeah, they are. They probably relied upon the Lord lots of times then to help them through that. As you, the preacher, so there we go. We need it the most. We need to pray the most, we preachers. But it, we, the commitment to solving them. But pastor, you know, I, I've made mistakes in the past. And, and listen, the marriage you are in now, commit yourself to that spouse. No going back. You are to in it for the rest of your life till death do you part. Matthew Henry said these words. I think we're spot on. She was not made out of his head to rule over him nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. For 1600s, uh, that's a pretty good little, uh, little, little reminder for us from Matthew Henry. Take the scissors and cut out this idea of, of, of divorce. You better watch a man who says he understands women. He'll lie about other things too. And so we, we find that I was, I, I'm laughing with, with, that doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean like, well, you know, I'll never understand something. No, it means that you, it is a treasure to be worked for. I just heard that for the first time yesterday and I thought, wow, now that is, I'm going to use that. And that is it. We are, you are to consider your wife, gentlemen, as a treasure to be worked for, not as a hanging on that you can just take advantage of or take for granted all the time. You want a happy home, then you need to be the leader. God has set forth the husbands to lead the home. 
Take this, this, by the way, this, this idea of no-fault divorce is a contradiction in terms. And why are we throwing out 90% of a good marriage for the 10% that needs struggling long? Uh, must have been a financial person said, the bonds of matrimony are good investment only when the interest is kept up. The bonds of matrimony are only good when the interest when only good investment when the interest is kept up. Marriage is for better, for worse, but always for keeps. The priority of marriage, the permanence of marriage, and thirdly, the purpose of marriage, back in our text, the trust you have not left it, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and there shall be one flesh. One flesh is more than simply physical intimacy. It's part of that, yes, but it's much more than that. Marriage, as Roger says, is a romance in which the hero and the heroine die in the very first chapter. That's it, the very first act. That is it. If you want to have a home that would put God first, it means that you have got to die to self and you've got to die to self. And that's how it works. It's no longer you. It's like a, a violin and a bow. By itself, it doesn't make, but when Mr. Womack puts it together, he plays beautiful songs. We just saw yesterday a Korean flash mob in Korea. And these children were either seven years old to 14 or 16 years of age. And the first, they started playing it, it's, it's Paco Bell's Cannon. Pum, 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 pum. And it's all memorized. And then they came in, and they would come running in, and they'd have their violin here, and they're both, but they didn't hear, didn't they squat until they started playing. Oh, when they started playing together. And eventually the conductor came up and started leading. And then there was like string bass, and there was, uh, there was the cellos, and there was the violas, and they were all playing together. And it worked because they were, it was the bow and violin, or the bow and cello, or the viola, whatever it was, playing together. That's what it means. It means that you're working together. Some say, now these ideas, I've been preaching the last couple, last couple, whatever, as long as I've been here, but last couple are old-fashioned. Are just what God has said. I'm just sharing what God has said from the get-go and uh, trying to add a little bit of commentary with it to help you make it not fall asleep, number one, and help maybe help you understand it a little better, number two. Polls clearly say the best relationships, intimate relationships, are those, the greatest emotional stability relationships are those who submit to God's standards and keep themselves pure from marriage. There's a direct correlation. The more people you've been with before you got married, the less chance you're going to be happy in your marriage and you're going to separate. The fewer people you've been with before you get married, the more likely you are to stay together. It only makes sense. It's a clear, I mean, it's, it's just only common sense. The people most likely to report a high degree of satisfaction with their current physical intimate relationship are married people who strongly believe that intimacy outside of marriage is wrong. Oh, but pastor, they think the world tells me that just having this profligate life is so enjoyable and so are wild oats. Ask people like Lord Byron or ask people like Mozart or ask people who died of diseases. Ask the, uh, ask the, ask the one million people who contracted the STD today. Oh, did you do that? Oh, no, I didn't know I'm not going to get that. I'm not doing that. I should have stopped a long time ago. Yes. It's amazing. When all else fails, if we'll just go back and read the directions. The directions are clear. Marriage is for more than the propagation of human race. It's for mutual love and comfort. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's help yourself to some happiness. God's not trying to keep you from physical intimacy. He's trying to keep physical intimacy for you by keeping yourself for your spouse. I know the 
children, your grandchildren, tell your grandchildren that. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Amen. It's honorable. And back to the mountain illustration, in order to get these people off the mountain, off the mountain, we need to give them some guardrails, train them, teach them what marriage really looks like. If you will do after you get married what you did before you got married, in order to get married, you'll stay married. It's a long little quote, but it's so excellent. But we have, we, have, we have allowed the impurity of life to come over and take over. And next week we're going to talk about the warning of adultery. But I had here, I have, I have some, I have some, and they do look, these are salted caramel, salted caramel brownies <laughs> with a little bit of pecans on them. And I talked to Andrew before. Andrew, I've got these salted caramel brownies. Would you, would you be interested in perhaps partaking of one of these? Sure. But before you do, though, I, I, got, I just got to be honest with you. I was making the brownies and I ran out of cocoa. I had needed something brown to mix in to fill up the thing. And, well, having cats, <laughs> I went upstairs, I went to the cat pen, and I got, that was just a small piece. But that sort of made my cup full of something looking brown, cocoa-ish. And not a lot. And there's no litter in it. But now, would you, would you would you want one of these brownies now? Mm. <laughs> they don't have any of them. And you might have one, take one home to eat. But you know what I just did? I committed adultery. Because I put the impure in with the pure. And the Bible says, do not commit adultery. And that's, I know it's a very unusual illustration, but perhaps you'll remember that. It's just that little purity. The ermine is a northern Europe. It's a wonderful animal. I guess it's a wonderful animal, but well, he has a wonderful white coat. And a hard thing to catch. You know how they catch it and trap the ermine? They, they go, they find the ermine's hole, and they smear tar all over the entrance to the ermine's hole. And so then the dogs come, and the ermine's running, 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 and they chase him to ermine, and the ermine gets to his hole with all the tar, rather than make his coat impure with the tar, he allows the dogs to catch him, and he's captured. His purity is more important than his life. Oh, if we would gather that among our two young people today. Purity is more important than life. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Next week we'll talk about what happens if we do the warnings. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you that you're patient with us. I'm thankful, Lord, that your word is true. Talk about in Sunday school. The first thing we talked about about God's word is it's true. It is. Thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And God that cannot lie, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So Lord, we're just thankful for the truth of your word. May we obey it. It's not so much can we go to the farthest mountain, the highest mountain, and shout your Ten Commandments from the very tallest mountains of the world we're here. It's the fact that we need to obey them tomorrow when we go to work or in whatever we're doing. 
So Lord, I pray, we who are married, we who, those who are looking forward to one day being married, we who are training children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews, may we hold forth the key to a magnificent marriage, which is honoring you, putting you first, the priority, the permanence of marriage, the purpose. Lord, help us to walk with you this week. And if there's a need, I pray people would respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's take our hymn book.